0: Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Computer Weekly Downtime Upload Podcast. I'm Cliff Sarin, and I'm here today with computer scientist Junaid Ali who has some news to share. So Junaid, there's been some pretty amazing news in your world recently... Uh, can you tell our li- <laughs> listeners what's been happening? Sorry. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, I, I know you got in touch out of the blue I said, well, I've got something to share. So um, what is it? Yes,
1: absolutely. Thanks so much, um, Cliff, for having me on. Um, Yeah, so big uh, piece of personal news um, for me has been that I've basically been elected as a um, a fellow of the institution of engineering and technology. Um, The interesting thing being that um, normally the average age of someone being a fellow of the IET is um, kind of over 45, and um, I've been like the youngest fellow, which also means it um, looks to be the case that I'm also the youngest fellow of um any engineering institution basically um Amazing. To,
0: to... I mean, so how how old
1: are you dare I ask <laughs> yeah so um um 27 so not um super young I think the um closest person the previous record holder was 29 so mm. I think beaten it by um by uh two years
0: okay uh, that, well congratulations that's the first thing uh, um but you've you've had a sort of interesting uh, I guess Education. Uh, so, um, I mean, I've I've only been just reading the, your background. Um, you know, what's what uh, what wh- what was it like? I mean, how, I mean, how did you get to how you've sort of you know you you you're now this sort of sort of computer scientist? You uh, you know you you you, you got this uh, you know you're now a fellow of the IET. You know this this is a, you know a very prominent position. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, you know um, how how did how did you get to how have you how have you got here?
1: Yeah definitely so it's, it's been um a non conventional journey if I um if I summarize it like that so mm effectively mm-hmm. um what happened was i kind of um after i um i dropped out of school i effectively started doing kind of software development in various different different forms i um was um um i eventually worked my way up to kind of running um the kind of um, web department of like the largest digital agency in the uk yeah but and i, I, I mean, wanted to just
0: to stop you there for a sec i mean uh, so you dropped <laughs> out of school uh, i mean lots of kids think they're going to drop out of school well what was your reason for dropping out of school and uh and you know did when did, did you and also <laughs> did you have that uh, well you know i i'm really into software at that time when you did drop out of school
1: i was definitely really into software i mean i think it was just uh, more of a fortune of circumstances thing mm. right in terms of in terms of why it happened it wouldn't be something i would necessarily you know or um recommend that someone um and does um i think there's definitely lots of advantages in um in education um but um in terms of the way it, it came together for me was just because of circumstances of mm. life at the time meant that um it was something which um almost, um was had to do um and so as a result ended up yeah um kind of basically working in as a software developer for a while um worked yeah um kind of eventually um worked in lots of different uh, different different settings everything from healthcare to um yeah eventually worked my way up to kind of being the um yeah running the the web department of the largest agency in the uk and then when i was um Basically, um, I then went away and wanted to do some more kind of um, deeper software engineering type type work. So I actually got to kind of, I guess, pursue the interest a lot more. So I worked on lots of high reliability systems. At the same time, um, I was working on my master's. So 17 at the time, I managed to get my way onto, um, onto a master's program and started working working on that. Um, And then kind of, I guess, there's there's, there's two tracks, right? So there's the academic track, and then there's the professional track. professionally i um started um you know i, I was eventually headhunted by a um, by a well-known cybersecurity company in san francisco and california mm. and i um started working for them same time whilst i was finishing off my my master's i basically was supervised by someone who was work on lots of interesting kind of projects around critical national infrastructure and embedded systems and like operational research problems mm. so started that, that he sort of eventually became my um, PhD supervisor as well. And so, yeah, um, had those two streams. Um, I then set up in that cybersecurity company, I set up a basically um, a team which was distributed across the world, an engineering team, which was in you know, California, in Texas, in London and Singapore. So I did that for a little while um, and then I eventually went went back and um, I, well, I, I then um, started doing my PhD at the same time, but then mm. eventually I set up my own consultancy um, as well And that consultancy basically had two kind of key clients, some who were very kind of to do with um, digital transformation, developer experience, really around kind of the deep tech area. And then there was others who were really in the cybersecurity realm in terms of national security, Mm. um, international risk, things like that. Okay. Um, so worked across those two. Um, and that's kind of how I developed. And now mm. kind of I've um, taken a step back from that consultancy, doing some work in, I guess, the financial services kind of world, but also keeping an eye on some of the things which are happening around AI and things like that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's a hot topic.
0: AI. I mean, are you um, so have you finished your Ph.D.?
1: Yes. yes, so um, I defended um defended, I think November um last year. Mm. Um, or uh, just a little bit um may have been yeah so um was yeah um basically got out of the way um november last year i think it's lengthy pro- process to do part-time i think same with when you're doing your um you know when you're doing um a master's or any kind of postgrad degree it can take um, a bit of time mm. the big thing actually for me was um with the phd program my university mandated that i be on the program for a minimum of three and three quarter years which meant for a while i had like my phd thesis for like years just literally written (laughs) but i couldn't necessarily submit it until that like time scale had um had um, had passed so um that was it there and i spent a lot of the time um same time um doing uh, some research at the same time as well as kind of running running my consultancy at the time Mm
0: -hmm. um i mean i just want to go back a bit because um you you, you've spoken quite a lot about you know this uh and and you've just touched on it actually this idea that you were sort of working at the same time as kind of studying and things like that Uh, now um i mean just going right back um you managed to get onto a master's degree uh at at a time when a lot, a lot of young people are thinking about, you know, getting a driving license or something like that, or, you know, maybe heading off to do their, you know, just getting ready to do their sort of A levels and, you know, get onto that, uh, that that first rung, you know, with the, um, uh, their their first degree. Uh, I mean, tell me, tell me about how that came about. <laughs>
1: Yes. Yeah, so I think it's a very typical kind of hacker mindset almost um, <laughs> okay. to um, to be able to to do this. I think like the because I'd cured kind of or uh, um, got enough professional experience basically that mm. I was in a position where um, the universities they do have a route which gets um, which you can get in to kind of. Um, master's programs on professional experience, things like mm. that. There, there's actually often like a lot of routes which I think people often don't don't realise in terms of higher education. Um, I think the interesting thing is those days. You know, it was definitely um, busy for me because I was doing kind of more or less evening classes. So I'd we, when I was at a higher liability software engineer, like I'd be basically uh, working. Like um, you know, I'd basically drive like hundred miles to work, which um, so set off around like. Uh, at um, six, I'd finish at um, about four. I'd drive to university, mm. come back um, past midnight, and I was writing like a um, a book at the same time. So it was a definitely no, busy. A, a busy process. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> but um, I think the thing is, is nowadays it seems like um, I think there seems to be a lot more accommodation in terms of that. In terms of you know distance learning, I think mm. even. Um, the University of Oxford, I think they now have their a part-time like software engineering masters and things like that. So I think it's definitely become the case as it's, it's, um, fortunately, I think nowadays it should be a less, less extreme, extreme activity for people who want to kind of pursue that.
0: And of course, since we've gone through the whole lockdown and where, where where students had to uh, do their education and uh, learning remotely anyway, uh, you know people I guess are more used to that uh, that way of interacting even though you know you, this you know that it's preferable to go to the campus and 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 go to the um, lecture halls uh there is that 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 way of distance learning is 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 is, is now sort of definitely and sort of the public sort of front of front of mind and things and as an alternative
1: definitely yeah i think in general like in terms of society i think you know the pandemic just accelerated i think the the rate of digitization i guess guess we saw i think if you look at the high street now i think there's only i think it's only primark who aren't online mm. right so i think it's basically been the case that we've seen an acceleration in terms of in terms of a lot of that my own phd defense i ended up doing that um remotely basically over um for, over video call as well and yes. you know um, it can make things you know when you're trying to get a professor from a, you know from um somewhere else in the world in order to be an external examiner, it can often be Mm. a lot easier when you um, are able to basically be able to, um, I guess, not have to worry about having to call someone in, having them stay in a hotel, and all the rest. Um, it can often um, be a lot easier um, through through that that perspective um, perspective for sure. But at mm. the same time, I think there's definitely um, definitely been some 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 value in terms of um, in terms of um, you know um, particularly in terms of education, the the kind of face to face component and and um, and things like that. So um, it was interesting. I did a lot of um, lot of bits pieces or on things like this um, in the um, um, on, on like remote work and things during the pandemic. So studying yes. things like developer burnout. Also mm. did some work on security improvements to the like Apple and Google um, contact tracing protocol. Things yes. like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely been interesting to see.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, you you were involved with um, uh, sort of giving some evidence to Parliament at some point. Is that right?
1: Yes, yeah, so um, in various different forms, there's been a few different things I've, I've worked on over um, over I guess the the, um, the the past few years in mm-hmm. terms of I guess in one respect, um, you know, um, things um, which have been to do with um, cyber security and kind of the um, state we're in at the moment. But at the same time, there's also been things around um, around you know the developer productivity side. Mm-hmm. I think specifically the. Um, interesting thing at the moment in terms of the cybersecurity security angle as we're starting to see I guess you know regulations start to catch up with that and so there's been interesting interesting perspectives over um over what what that looks like in terms of cybersecurity and how people are starting to um starting to to look at that and how um you know um how legislators are actually starting to look at regulating that as well
0: yes yeah uh I remember when we first spoke, it was around the whole developer burnout thing. Have Have you been sort of tracking that? Have you seen any progress? Have things got better? Have things got worse?
1: Yeah, so this was a bit of research I originally did with um, a company called, um, for a company called Haystack Analytics. Mm. We're basically very much in the uh, developer productivity world. And um, we worked with a polling agency called Servation to actually, for the first time, actually poll where software developers have come from, mm. or what what they're basically um, thinking, and um, and you know what their um, what, the, what 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 their um, um, yeah, um, and basically ask them these questions. So there had been previous attempts, not necessarily with burnout, but to try and understand developers in general. So Google had done work in these State of DevOps reports, Puppet, mm. similar. Um, and a few other kind of uh, kind of organisations, but we really were able to do this quite rapidly by using representative-like opinion polling um, in order to be able to understand it. And actually, the data held out to be true when I think Google came out with their reports. We were very, very accurate in terms of in terms of um, being able to um, and consistent with um, the kind of large-scale um, you know questionnaires that they would typically do. So what we've definitely, yeah, definitely see saw during the pandemic, like developer burnout was a big big um issue um and i think there's been been um a move away in many respects in terms of for engineering management away from you know understanding that this is a this is a bigger issue and it's something which is um which is more relevant so the later studies held that out to be true it'll definitely be interesting in the coming years to see if that is able to get under control and how people people account for that by definitely starting to see there is a greater a greater concern for this and a greater you know um, appreciation almost for the mental health of um, of software engineers
0: mm, okay um, I mean, looking at um, sort of trends in cyber security, uh, it seems like almost every day there's no- numerous things going on uh, and you know, bad actors everywhere. Uh, I mean, what are the sorts of things that uh, keep you up at night? What, what are your concerns uh, in terms of cyber and uh, <laughs> where, where it's going?
1: Yeah, it's been really interesting over the past past few years. So probably one of the biggest things I've publicly been known for has been, I created like the uh, password anonymity model, which basically allows someone to, um, for compromised credential check, which allows someone to basically check if their password is in a data breach without disclosing the password Mm -hmm. or even a full hash of it. And that's been adopted by um, in products by Apple and Google, um, Okta, Firefox 1Password, et cetera. It's built into Troy. Hunt's um password service so that that really um there's some empirical data we were able to actually research on this during the Fear appeals of this kind do improve things like two-factor authentication adoption, you know, um, re- reduce um, reduce um, you know use of compromised passwords, um, etc. Um, the interesting thing is is that there's been a lot of work in the industry to try and um, address like these issues with things like risk-based authentication, um, compromised credential checking, etc. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing is where the direction is going going now and. When I speak to people um, who've done a lot of work for this, there's some people, it's interesting at the moment, there's almost like some people who have like solved these issues and are moving um, moving out of this this world of um, password um, security and in terms of other areas, tangential areas of cybersecurity. But at the same time, there's new work which is coming along. So like, um, you know, pass keys or something, which I think the Fido Alliance are, are, are working on um, as well. But this brings a whole heap of um, new challenges which I think we're seeing an increasing lot. So a lot of the work I've done in cybersecurity over the past, past um, few years, we've seen a lot of an increase in very very targeted attacks. Mm. Um, I've seen a lot of this with a lot of the work I've been doing um, in relation to North Korea, for instance. We've seen some very very targeted um, spear phishing attacks, but also some things which have been very targeted at security researchers, things which have been targeted at um, you know um, you know human rights uh, journalistic groups things like that so mm. that's that's been an interesting one as well and with large-scale cyber attacks you know it's, it's one which is interesting because um is kind of, working uh quite heavily in this field um when you know over the past few years and we saw um, a lot of the uptick in um or you know we, we've seen increasing risk in the world you know um with with regards to various things which are going on you know ukraine and so on yeah and it, it's been very interesting to see that move from you know large-scale blanket attacks to things becoming incredibly targeted and that is something which is i think which is i think very interesting because i think almost the cost of doing these targeted attacks in many ways has also also gone down not just for large-scale actors but also for individual actors Mm -hmm. um you know um whether that is various different examples uh, examples of this you know even things like um you know you you notice that if you go to um you know you you go to many sites and you need to set two-factor authentication they default to sms Mm -hmm. and you know most people don't actually have like a pin on their you know on their, their sim card and there's some incredibly targeted attacks being seen nowadays where people in order to get around that are basically you know um when someone's at a gym for instance will break into um safe somehow you know know the default code where they will have you know someone's wallet with their phone and they can bypass the phone um um, they don't need to unlock the phone because they can just basically remove the sim Mm. and um there won't be be a pin on it um and they'll be able to do it so those types of attacks basically those very fine grained targeted attacks are the ones which um which um have been seeing a lot of um recently and be, have been hearing hearing a lot of from people kind of in in, in this this um this field as well
0: yes yeah oh, that's worrying uh, just remind me not to uh take my phone and lock it in the locker in the, at the gym basically <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, I I find, uh, I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, I I had a, not a security incident. I I mean, I I had a two-factor authentication uh, anger moment today when I was trying to make a payment and uh, something that has worked in the past suddenly decided that, uh, you know it needed it was going to go through another level of verification and um, you think oh you know as the sort of recipient of that the, you know the consumer trying to get something done in in the five spare minutes that you have and then it's going to take you ten times longer because you uh, you know, the, the authentication hasn't uh, worked as it should have done. It's, it's always a bit of a, you know, it's, it's, it's always a bit, oh, it's so inconvenient. Why? why? Why 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 this time has it done that, you know? Yeah, you know, absolutely.
1: And there's always a saying, you know, that, you know, security without usability isn't security, right? You know, you need yeah. to have, I guess, both of them, them very much hand in hand, as you he, as, as he mentioned there.
0: Mm. I mean, I, I mean, personally, I use the authenticator authentication apps as a, you know, and I sort of that way does seem to work but the banks don't use that they have their own you know you have to log into the the banks i use you have to log into their app and and sometimes the connection between well in this case the website that i was on and saying to use the app uh didn't quite work so i didn't get the alert saying right make your payment you know do you want to authenticate this uh, So so just you know it was one of those those things that somehow you know wasn't developed properly at, at some point by someone <laughs> but anyway uh it's been lovely to talk to you today and thank you ever so much for coming on and congratulations again
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, really appreciate, um, really appreciate you inviting me on. And um, yeah, thanks so much for, for taking the time.
0: Thank you. And thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.